If I had only known the last time would be the last time I would have put off all the things I had to do I would have stayed a little longer Held on a little tighter Now what I'd give for one more day with you There's a wound here in my heart where something's missing And they tell me that it's gonna heal with time But I know you're in a place where all your wounds have been erased And knowing yours are healed is healing mine The only scars in heaven that won't be lost to me and you There'll be no such thing as broken And all the old will be made new And the thought that makes me smile now Even as the tears fall down Is that the only scars in heaven On the hands that hold you now I know the road you walked Was anything but easy You picked up your share of scars Along the way oh, But now you're standing in the sun You fought your fight And your race is run The pain is all a million miles away the only scars in heaven that won't belong to me and you. There'll be no such thing as broken. And all the old will be made new. And the thought that makes me smile now, even as the tears fall down. The only scars in heaven yeah, are on the hands that hold you now. That I don't see you You live on in all of the better parts of me Until I'm standing with you in the sun I'll fight this fight and this race I'll run Until I finally see what you can see Oh, the only scars in heaven There won't be such thing is broken and all the old will be made new and the thought that makes me smile now and even as the tears fall down 
got the only scars in heaven Or on the hands that hold you now
Good morning, and thank you for being here today. We do want to take time this morning to uh, a couple things. One, to honor um, the life, the blessing of this man, um, a dear friend, a dear brother, um, a faithful servant, a good husband, and um, I miss him already. And uh, looking through the pictures, the memories, some of the memories that this church uh, has been able to share with this dear friend and this brother and his family that we've loved through the years, um, blessed my heart. And I just want to thank you for being here. So we're going to honor him, of course. And we also hope and pray, as I've already prayed for Linda and the family, that God would help um, bring strength and closure and, um, and, and just faith and courage. We sorrow, but not as those who have no hope. We do sorrow. Jesus wept at a funeral, knowing that he was going to resurrect the one they were all weeping about. But he wept because there are burdens in this life. And so we're going to look at the word of God. I'm going to encourage you. Um, in your pew in front of you or underneath you if you're on the front there are these little pew bibles and I never do this but I'm going to encourage you this morning um, to turn to Luke 24 and just hold that spot we're going to look at some verses this is the most unusual uh, memorial service message I've ever given because it's almost it's almost a bible study it's just as short as I always am so you'll be happy about that but um but it's just something the Lord laid on my heart because Herb was he was sort of my engineer science guy he loved to bring me science articles and thoughts about um, physics and the world and electronics and he was a thinker and so that's why I thought about this text and these texts and so I'm going to share them knowing that look, he's looking down as well and uh, Mike Chung uh, is going to come he's going to greet you and then he's going to open in prayer brother Mike uh, good morning and uh, as I walked in I saw you know, friends I hadn't seen for a long time, and uh, and uh, we are we are sad for you, and we we weep, weep with you. Um, but I'm I'm comforted because when I saw that share a memory card, I could fill up about a dozen of those memories of Herb Cameron, and uh, he was a really good friend. We 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 shared a lot of interest because we're both nerds and love telecom and work in that field. And if you're snagged to talk about technology. He could be there for days. And uh, one time he caught me, I was, uh, my wife was shopping and I sat on the, one of the benches in the Garns Mall and I was like, literally, I was out. But he, he like sneaked up on me and scared me. I was like, oh yeah, you know. He's like, I caught you sleeping. I was like, yeah, I was trying to take, take a rest. But then we talked about, of course, technology and telecom for, until Mrs. Cameron's like, yeah, can we go now? Can we, you know, like to go shopping some more? So, um, so I have some, some wonderful memories of him and his family and um, what a blessing. Um, the whole Cameron family has been to us, but um, um, we we don't we don't weep as people who don't want to have a hope. We have we know we have this blessed hope that we will see him again in a perfect body and uh, and in glory. So uh, we have look look forward to that. You know, each each and every day is we're closer to one one step one day closer to heaven, right? All of us. Uh, so let's open in prayer. Dear God, we're so thankful for the life of Herb Cameron and what a good friend and. And, uh, and Christian brother he was to me and to many in this room. Lord, we ask that you just please, please bring comfort uh, to the family today. And Lord, just help us to remember all the great memories and the discussions and the, and the, the fun things that uh, we're able to do uh, with, with him, Lord. And we look forward to, to being with you, Lord, um, someday. And we, Lord, we ask that if there's anyone here today that has not accepted you as your savior, Lord, that they would take care of that today, Lord, so they can have eternal home in heaven, just like Herb Cameron, Lord. Uh, please be with this service and help us to uh, rejoice 
in his home go going and uh, and also remember remember all the memories that uh, he's given to us as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to sing a great song this morning. Hymn number 269. If you want to grab your hymn books here, the words should be on the screen. In the garden, we'll sing verses 1 and 3. 269. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear the Son of God destroys and he walks with me with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known I'd stay One thing I always think about, I can't help but not think about when I consider Herb Cameron or the family in general, is how Christ-like love that they had for people. And yes, they fed us, which is the greatest form of love, obviously. That's, that's my love language, by the way. It's the sixth one. It's called food. Amen. But they invested in people. They loved. They cared. They were the personification for me, the word in the New Testament, edifiers. They built up. Herb Cameron was always that to me, and of course Linda. One day, in our old property, we had a tiny little gym, not even the size of this space right here. There's these little windows from the kitchen out to the gym, and you'd always see the Cameron slaving away in that kitchen. And that gym had a lot of memories, which Mr. Toombs taught me karate, and I was his greatest pupil, obviously his star pupil. And one day I came in for Awana and was very upset. My family was going through a hard time, which for a pastor's family, you don't really get to talk about that too much, especially my mom. And then all of a sudden, these big, huge, strong, burly arms, and I hear the voice go, hey there, buddy. 
And all of a sudden, my legs lift off the floor, and there's Herb Cameron literally lifting me up, um, putting me in a bear troll hold, and I can't breathe. No, but he, uh, I instantly knew who it was without seeing him. I knew that voice. And of course, the first thing he did, knowing that I was upset, is he fed me extra food, of course, love language. But he began to just encourage me in the faith. And a young child, I remember hearing about Barnabas, the son of consolation, and he was one of the greatest examples of that for me. And so is the Cameron family. The problem is, people like that are really rare. It's hard to find, right? So all the harder when they leave, especially when they leave suddenly. And sometimes we say this phrase, and I think about it with my mom all the time, gone too soon. They were gone too soon in our life, but not when they're with the Lord. That's where they're meant to be. But for us, it's hard. And when my dad's dad, my grandpa passed away, and I said at his funeral, my mom passed away, and I said it at hers, and I'll say the same thing to you today, the one thing that gives me strength, that can give you hope, is that all of this is temporary and that you will see him again. He had one of the brightest smiles that could light up a whole room, but that is not the last time for those in Christ that will see that smile again. Well, not the last time you feel one of those massive bear hugs or hear the words, hey there, buddy, or his encouraging, loving words. It will not be the last time. In fact, the next time you see this godly man, he will have a brighter smile and a greater life than you've ever known. And the only reason we know that's true, the only reason, is because Jesus Christ said so. I'm going to read his words of comfort to all of you today. He says in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We will see him again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we know contained in these pages is not sentimentality. It's not pie in the sky. It's not wishful thinking. These are promises from your son, not just to his disciples, but to us as well. Because he said, if it were not so, you would have told us. But we know that you go to prepare a place for us. And there are many, Lord, there are so many beloved, beloved people that we have had to say goodbye to. Some expected, some unexpected, all of them missed. But we know that we will see them again. And that this world and its pain and its disappointments is but a fleeting moment compared to being with you and the ones we love. Help us, Lord, until then, Claim these promises. Lay hold of them. 
Help that as your word says, write them upon our neck and upon the table of our, of our heart. Help us to rejoice in your promises and your word. We thank you for this time. Comfort the family, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jen and Darlene. Before we look at Luke 24, and again, I hope you will take time to do that, I'm going to read some scriptures from Philippians 3, where the Apostle Paul is basically reminding the believers at Philippi that as prestigious 
and as advantageous as the Roman citizenship was, and it was something to cherish in those days, um, there was something greater. Paul says, for them as believers, something far greater, an eternal citizenship that they enjoyed as God's people up in heaven. You're familiar with this. It says this in Philippians 3, verse 20, for our conversation, the old English word means our manner of life, our citizenship, our conversation is in heaven from whence we look also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So now having reminded them that they're indeed citizens of another place, not just this world, not just America, not just Rome or whatever it might be, he goes on to explain a very important issue about that place of e eternal citizenship. The very next verse says this, who, all right, our citizenship's there, where Jesus is at right now, who, Jesus, referring to him, who shall change our vile body, that's what these bodies are, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Glorified body is another word. According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. You know, I suppose everybody wants to know, especially Christians want to know, what it's going to be like in heaven. Are we going to actually have a physical body? What kind of body are we going to have? Will we recognize one another? How old are we going to be up in heaven? Will I still be me? My loved one be my loved one when we get to heaven. And of course, in many respects, the Bible makes it clear that, quote, we cannot now comprehend what that body will be like. 1 John 3, 2 says, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. That simply means we can't see it, fully comprehend it, at least physically right now, and understand or appreciate what this new body that Paul tells the Philippians about, what it's going to be exactly like. On the other hand, you might be surprised to learn that there are some things, in fact, several things that we can know that God tells us and by faith we can embrace because God has revealed these things. Notice again, I'm going to read it to you, what he says. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So follow this carefully now. God says that up in heaven, our glorified body is going to be fashioned. The word means created, made, designed, fashioned like Jesus' resurrected body. 1 John 3, 2 says, when he shall appear, we shall be like him. And what does it tell us? It tells us a lot. In fact, it tells us a lot when you consider what his body, that is his glorified body, was actually like. So here's Luke 24, and if you're there, I want you to look at it. If not, just listen very carefully. Verse 6 says, he is not here. Of course, this is the message when they came to the tomb, the resurrection. Luke 24, I'm sorry, Luke 24. Verse 6, he is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. Now, follow this carefully. It just says this. He's not here. What does that mean? You know, it might seem like a little thing or a simple thing, but for some reason, that simple thing is lost on a lot of people. The fact that he is not here, the fact that that tomb was empty. Why? Why was that tomb empty? Well, I mean, let's state the obvious. 
because the body was no longer there. So where then was the body? Well, folks, it was resurrected. And in fact, as we just noted, it was resurrected and glorified, and yet in its glorified state, we are told it has wounds. Wounds placed on the original body while he was here on this earth. You see, Pastor, I still don't get the point. All right, the point is this. When Jesus was resurrected, he did not need an entirely, completely different body for heaven. For heaven, it was the same body in a glorified state. So then why do we have, this is what I get asked a lot, why do we have a future resurrection? You know, Paul said this, absent from the body is present with the Lord. And he should know. He was stoned to death outside of a town called Lystra. When he was stoned to death, the disciples surrounded his body, but he was in heaven. He testified that he went to heaven and saw things that he couldn't speak about, and then somehow came back down and and reanimated his body. So why? When we go to heaven, Paul says, absent from the body is present with the Lord. So when Jesus comes back again, we are told that God wants our original body to be resurrected. Right? The body that we had on this earth, that's going to be resurrected, and the scripture says glorified. Why is it? Because God, for his, in his great omniscience and wisdom, God wants us to dwell forever in a glorified form of this earthly body. 1 Corinthians 15, for example, that's the longest chapter in the New Testament. It's 58 verses. I read that chapter, portions of that chapter, almost at every gravesite I've ever done in 36 plus 45 years, if you count before here. That's called the resurrection chapter. And it's written because the Corinthians had questions. Well, which body? Who are we going to be? When, what about the rapture? Are we going to be left behind? That chapter teaches that the body is like a seed. And you know, when a seed is planted, the seed dies. And then from that seed comes forth this plant. And this glorious plant is far, far greater than just that original seed, obviously. Now, I don't want to get into this too much. You do realize that the entire genetic code of an, a gigantic oak tree is contained within a single cell inside the kernel of one acorn. So from that comes this giant tree with multitudes of acorns that could go on and on and on into perpetuity. And that's what 1 Corinthians 15 is when it says your body is like a seed planted in the ground. What comes up is not another seed, but something that is glorious, far more than this. It also goes to the question of whether or not we will recognize one another in heaven. The disciples, as you'll see, had difficulty recognizing Jesus in his glorified body, but they did. They recognized him. It was Jesus, and it was Jesus' body. Luke 24, if you're there or not, just listen to it carefully. It says, Behold, two of the disciples went that same day, the same day, to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. What things? Well, the, the crucifixion and the scourging and the, and the betrayal. They were talking about Jesus being crucified and dead. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Can you imagine? 
Now, note this. What's important about this is the fact that the Lord Jesus, in his glorified body, now he's a resurrected Christ, he's walking and he's talking with these sad, dejected disciples. They never once, if you read the account, questioned his humanity. He wasn't a phantom. He wasn't an apparition. He didn't have a halo and wings. He wasn't levitating in front of them. He apparently looked human in every form as he walked along. But that's not all. Later in the same chapter, it says this, notice verse 39. Jesus said, Behold, my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. Handle me. Touch me. And see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Now, the glorified body of Christ could be touched. It could be handled. It could be felt. Jesus even said, a spirit hath not, just a mere spirit, hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. That's his glorified body. Now, remember what Paul says in Philippians, our body is going to be like his glorified body. And then he says this. Verse 42, they gave Jesus a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he, Jesus, took it and did eat before them. Now, wait a minute. Isn't that intriguing? What's fascinating here is that not only did Jesus eat food in his glorified body, he ate earthly food. Not space food. Not angel food. He said, Pastor, it sounds like his glorified body is a whole lot like the normal earthly body. I know it is. Except it's not. Let me read to you verse 30, for example. The Bible says, And it came to pass, as he sat at me with them, and he took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them. So Jesus, with those same two Emmaus disciples, sat down. And he took bread and he broke it. And their eyes were open and they knew it was Jesus. And he vanished out of their sight. Now that's not going to happen in the luncheon a few minutes from now. Nobody's going to eat and then be gone. I don't think. Verse 36, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and said to them, Peace be unto you, shalom. And they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. Why? Because he just appeared. And they supposed they had seen a ghost. The Bible says in John 20 that Jesus came in, quote, with the doors being shut. He didn't need a door. He didn't need a door. This same body that ate fish and, and honeycomb and bread can just appear and go through the doors? Oh, yes. Here's what it says in verse 51. And it came to pass while he blessed them, while Jesus blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. That means he journeyed right to heaven. Now, remember this, folks. He shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorified body. And remember 1 John 3, 2, we quoted, we shall be like him. In fact, Romans 8, 29 says this. Romans was Herb's favorite book. Whom he foreknow, he also did foreknew, he also did predestinate, what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Pastor Blaylock, that's just, that's just referring to the image in the sense of spirituality. Oh, really? The next verse says this, the very next verse. 
Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them, them he also glorified. The word glorified in the Bible is a reference to the final perfected state of, of our body, body and spirit. So that in other words, in body, we shall be like him. And we just read in Luke 24 what he's like in his glorified body. Just as Jesus had his earthly body renewed for eternity, so too will our earthly body be renewed for eternity. In some measure, only God knows how your individual DNA, if you will, is going to be glorified. This is why Satan, who's real, has foisted this huge lie in the world that when a man dies, he just becomes one with the universe. He just becomes one and he just sort of merges the individual consciousness into the universal life force. No. Elijah and Moses didn't merge into the universe when they died. As a matter of fact, centuries and centuries and centuries later, guess who they were? They were still Elijah and Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Still. And remember, remember what God said in that text in Philippians. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. This is, this is vital. According, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. In other words, God will fashion our new body according to the work that he's able to do. That's why we can't comprehend it. Well, what kind of work is, according to his ability, what kind of work is God, the creator, able to do? Well, folks, just look around at creation. Go look at the ocean, sunrise. Go look at a mountain, sunset. Look at the creatures of this world in the deepest sea, up in the sky flying. You look at creation and if this world and then you look at the universe as vast as it is. If this world and this universe is cursed and fallen and it's the cursed and fallen form of what God can do with his mere word. Imagine his work. Imagine his power as it is perfected. Glorified in eternity. I remember a fascinating article that Herb gave me years ago. He was always giving me articles, and usually they were science articles. This one was, a, was actually a physicist who published this paper at Princeton. And some of you may remember it because I passed out a few copies and so forth. It was just intriguing, and it talked about this discovery. That somehow in our material world, there are exotic, massive subnuclear particles that interacts, interacts so rarely with ordinary matter that billions of them pass through our bodies, pass through matter, even a wall, without being detected. I read it, I reread it, I love science, and I still didn't get it. I still don't get it. But I understand Jesus walking through a wall, as he did, because he created the particles. He made them. When we were all in science class, we learned that physical matter can exist in three states, solid, liquid, and gas. And they can do so without changing 
its composition. H2O is H2O, whether it's steam, liquid, or ice. Those are different qualities, but they're still H2O. Well, the God who created water, who created light, the first two things go to Genesis 1, who created water and light and the human body and the whole universe, that same God is able to fashion a new body for you fit, fit perfectly for heaven. Remember what Jesus said, Andy read it a moment ago, I go to prepare a place for you. He's, it's a prepared place for a prepared body and a prepared people. And yes, you will have a new body, but somehow of the basic composition, just like that H2O illustration of the old. But Pastor Blake, they didn't recognize Jesus at first. Well, of course not. You know, people look at my wedding picture that I have in my office with Louise, and they look at it and they say, who's that? I said, that's me. Oh, what happened? I remember I went to high school with uh, Brother Henry Crane's son, who's in heaven, and I went to high school with this kid, and he was a stud. I mean, he was our star quarterback, played for Auburn, amazing quarterback, big man on campus, Auburn fans down here. And you know, um, Henry called me and said, I need to go visit my son. I said, oh, John, yeah, I remember in high school, he's a stud, Auburn quarterback, hadn't seen him since high school or on television. I went to Martin North like I do as a pastor all the time. Went into the room, saw the room number, went in, saw this guy on the bed, and walked out and said, I wonder where he's at, because this guy in the bed was bald and fat. And finally I went, and there's his name on the thing. It was him. The stud, I was more studly <laughs> than this guy. I mean, we change. You say, well, they don't, you know, you can change your looks. I mean, I had this, you go to my office and you look at that wedding picture. Louisa's always as beautiful as the picture, but not so much me. Different appearance, same exact body, if you will. When Mary thought that the Lord was the gardener near the empty tomb, all he had to do, he's in his glorified body, is call her name. When he said Mary, she instantly knew that it was Jesus. She recognized him. And you do that. Your husband or your wife calls you up, hello, and, and in, immediately you recognize the person. In other words, you know them by more than just their physical appearance. And this goes again to the issue that in heaven we are, we are who we are even now. God said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of the living not the God of the dead. Well, how can he be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? How can Jesus repeat that verse when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are dead, and yet he says, I'm the God of the living? Because they're still alive. And guess who they are? They're Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's still Abraham to this day. And Herb Cameron, he's still Herb. And you will recognize him, and you will know him as such. One of the young people in Sunday school asked me, Pastor, how old will we be physically? What will we be in heaven? How old, I don't know, old in appearance? Folks have speculated that Jesus was 33 and a half years old when he was resurrected. And that that's the age when people actually begin to, quote, age, if you will. But it's almost half of three score and ten. I don't know. I think it's moot. I think that whatever the age is that we look like when we are in heaven, the important thing God wants us to know is that we do not change from our glorified body. The Bible teaches 
that in this world, the Christian has three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. But in heaven, what happens? The world, gone. Eliminated. The devil, gone. Finally. The flesh, glorified. Glorified. Which means everything negative about the flesh is gone. No longer will our bodies be subject to the groanings of this present world. This is why heaven is often referred to as a place of rest. Over and over again, the Bible says that heaven is a place of rest. Rest for the body, rest for the soul. And I tell you what, sounds good to me. Well, all that means, beloved, when we come to times like this, a memorial service, we don't have the old feelings of dread that the world has or that we once had. We don't have it. Heaven and eternity are not foes. For a Christian, they are friends. Heaven is home. And in heaven, there will be worship without distraction. That's Revelation 19. Service without exhaustion. That's Revelation 22. We will have learning without weariness. 1 Corinthians 13. Rest without boredom. Revelation 14. Fellowship without suspicion. Revelation 19. Pastor, doesn't the Bible say that, that you see, we have service? Why do we have service without exhaustion and yet, quote, it's called a place of rest? You know, I've thought a lot about that. And I got to tell you, I remember when I was a boy swimming all day long up at Satellite Beach in the Air Force Officers Club. I would swim and jump off the high dive and swim and we'd have contests and do this, that, and the other. And then I would I'd sit in this poolside chair eating these french fries that to this day are the best french fries I ever had in my life, those crinkly fries from 1971. And I remember sitting there looking at the blue sky, absolutely exhausted, but it was the, it was the best feeling of rest or tired I ever had. Not at all the kind of tired I get after three hours of crisis counseling for some family who's fighting over some demonic temptation, but true bonafide rest. I'm going to close with this. In Luke 24 and verse 38, Jesus said to them, why are you troubled and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Handle me and see for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy, in other words, it was, it was too good to be true. And they wondered he said unto them, Have ye any meat? Have ye any food? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it, and he did eat it before them. Do you see, folks, how real heaven will be? Heaven's not a state of mind. Heaven's not a figment of man's imagination. It's not a philosophical concept. It's not pie in the sky, a religious abstraction, a sentimental dream. Heaven is a real place with real people. I'm always amused when I hear some humanist, some professor, and they'll say, well, heaven's just pie in the sky by and by. Marx is opiate of the people. They say it's just escape, it's escapism. It's a psychological crutch. It's a coping mechanism. And you know what they're missing? What they're missing is that it doesn't matter 
if it's escapism or not. All that matters is if it's true. The tunnel that went out of Stalag 17 was an escapist idea, but it was also real. And heaven is real. And these truths about heaven are more than just... 